Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us, but truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Last night I had this uh, pretty intense dream. I was uh, over, it felt like the Middle East. Um, It was definitely in a third world part of the globe and there were um, like massive multitudes. It was something, I was going in and out of this in the dream, I was going in and out of this uh, place that had the feel of like a third world marketplace, but also had a little bit of a feel of a refugee camp. But there were lots of Americans that were moving in and out and they were ministering. It was very clear to me they were serving in some form of a missionary capacity. And um, in the midst of the dream, there was um, a couple that I used to pastor years and years ago. Um, Their name was Jim and Dawn, and Jim and Dawn were there. And uh, both Jim and Dawn always, back in the day, um, had a a heart for people, especially children. And they were there, and their kids were there, and their kids were still small. And then um, they were moving in and out of the marketplace. And Jim, in particular, had a very serious look on his face, but he was ministering in this marketplace, vegetable shop kind of place. And... um, it, it was strange. It was almost like he worked there, but he was um, in the midst of working in his vocation there at the marketplace. He was ministering the gospel to people and laying hands on people, and he was trying to share with me something of importance. I, I, in the dream, I felt like I was new to the area, but Jim was trying to convey to me there was a job to do, but the crowd noise was so huge. I couldn't hear him, couldn't understand what he was saying. And then um, the other part of the dream, same scene, third world, lots of Africans, lots of Middle Easterns, um, and a handful of Americans. And Jim and Don, I recognize. The only other person I remember that I recognized was my good friend, John Padilla, who is a current missionary. He's a 21, 22-year-old dude that um, is just really on fire for Jesus. And then in the dream, John was feverishly ministering, and he was rounding up people, and he was uh, laying hands on them, and he was speaking life unto them, but he was in over his head in the dream, but he was uh, really, really going after it, and it was just a powerful, powerful scene, and in the midst of it, I just started taking up the same mantle that they were carrying and just started ministering there. It was it was uncomplicated, but it was very intense, and uh, when I woke up from the dream, this morning, it was. Um, it left me with a feeling of just like there was a very substantial work that was being done in the dream, and I really felt that um, it it was a snapshot of things to come. And when I get dreams, and and unless the Lord gives me um, an immediate interpretation, I hold on to my dreams very loosely. I don't try to force them to stand on all four. Um, I, I try to just let the Lord or welcome the Lord to bring me the interpretation. And if he doesn't give me a clear interpretation, um, I just wait. I don't try to go out and say, this is what this means, or this must mean this, or maybe I just kind of wait and I say, Lord, you, you gave the dream, you'll give the interpretation. Having said that, I felt like the dream was a snapshot of things to come. I felt like that there will be, um, a massive movement of God using Americans in third world countries and and specifically the Middle East and specifically Africa. And I don't believe it's going to be a polished 
version of ministry like we have here in the states. I believe it's going to be um, a lot of dust. In the dream, uh, there there was it was it was red clay. It was dust. It was it was dirt, and so it was very organic. And um, so I woke up and I, and, you know, I was driving into the office today and I felt compelled to, to do a podcast. I don't have any notes prepared or anything like that. I'm, I just felt, I started praying and I said, Father, w- w- what is it that you're saying? What are you saying right now? What, what would you like me to share? Because I felt the unction to record and speak and do a little teaching, but I, I, I wasn't planning on doing it. And so I, I just felt the, the urge, the inner pull from the Holy Spirit but I didn't have the topic or the passage of scripture. So I just prayed in the spirit for about 20 minutes on the way into work. And, um, as I was nearing, nearing the office, nearing the church, um, I really felt like the Lord directed my heart to Matthew chapter number nine and a very familiar passage of scripture that I felt, um, was in, in in some way connected to the dream. So if you guys would just give me a little grace today, um, I think this is going to connect with you because I want to talk to you. Um, just about Jesus's compassion, Jesus' comfort, the heart of Jesus, as we are very familiar in the Gospels with the hands of Jesus, healing the sick, raising the dead, ministering to lepers. We're familiar with the healing touch of Jesus, but sometimes we have to slow down and recognize there was a heart behind the hands. The heart of Jesus behind the hands of Jesus is very important. And today, I really felt like, though, I'm going to you know, just give you these few verses. I felt like that there were going to be some that were listening to this that you just really need to connect, or maybe the Lord needs to connect you to the reality that he has deep, deep compassion for you, that um, he's not a tyrant. He's not an indifferent type A kind of, I don't care how you feel, I got to get my mission done. He's not that type of leader. He's not that type of savior. Um, he's not interested in ringing you out and then casting you aside because he's got a thousand people standing in line who can fill in behind you, but that he does want to use you. And yes, um, the work of the ministry and and a committed life for Jesus Christ, no matter if you're in vocational ministry or not, just talking about the life of a Christian when it's lived properly, it does require, and, um, it, it pulls from you. It draws on your resources, draws on your strength. It draws on your time draws on your finances. It draws on your, your energies and relationships. And I need you to hear this. I really feel like this is the word of the Lord for some of you that are listening. Um, he sees you pouring out. He sees you giving. He sees you releasing. And he's moved by that. He's moved by your need. He's moved by what you're lacking. He's moved Um, when he watches you give and at times it feels like you're scraping the bottom of your internal barrel and you're bringing up the only thing you can reach in there and pull out and you look at it and you're like, this is nothing. Why, why am I even offering this? This doesn't seem to bear fruit. This doesn't seem to be anointed. This doesn't seem to be connected to any grand purpose. This is just the scrapings of my soul. But Lord, It's what I've got today, and I'm going to bring it before you. And I want you to know that he's moved, that the heart of the Lord is moved, that you are willing to scrape, that you're willing to go to this place where it's not impressive, it's not strong, 
It's not polished. It's not potent. It's not powerful. Nobody's going to take a picture of whatever it is that you're offering and put it on Instagram and get a thousand likes. And it's, it's not that, but the Lord looks at the scrapings that we sometimes have to bring him. And he's like, I love that. I love that daughter. I love that son. I love that you are bringing that to me again in your weariness, in your weakness, in your lack, in your doubt, in your, you know, stumblings and fumblings. I love that you're bringing that to me. Why, why can I say that with such confidence? Well, one, because I can't count how many long seasons in my Christian journey that I, that's all I had to offer. Um, I, you know, public ministry sometimes is, um, illusionary. I mean, people see a dude on a stage or a woman on a stage and they're singing or they're playing or they're preaching or, you know, they're presenting and it looks so polished and packaged, but I'm going to tell you, man, that's an illusion. Those moments come, but the reality is most of the Christian life is a grind and it's got oil on it. Don't get me wrong. But if you're not grinding at all in the Christian life, then you're probably living beneath the demand of God on your life. But when you, when you rise up and say, Lord, everything I am and everything I have is yours. Um, what, what happens is you will hit these moments where you're scraping in the bottom of your soul. And he says, Oh, I love that. I love that you're willing to do that. So let me give you these couple of verses out of Matthew nine. They're very, very familiar. And I'm, I'm not going to do a big study today. I'm, my whole my whole intention for this, what I prayed, was that God, you would encourage somebody that's listening to know that you actually feel them. Your act, your eyes are actually on them right now. That they're not invisible to you. That they're seen. That they're heard. And that they are affirmed by you. That you're pleased with them. And so, Lord, make that happen. Matthew 9, 36, let me give you verse 35, actually. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I, I really want to hone in on that 36 verse. He saw the crowds. He had compassion for the people in the crowds. And it tells us the reason why, because when Jesus saw them, he saw them as they were, which was what? Well, in the ESV, I preach out of the ESV. He saw them as, as they were, which was harassed and helpless, like sheep that don't have a shepherd. Um, I don't know what you think about when you envision God's analysis of who you are and where you are and what you have to offer. I, I don't know. Um, there's a whole host of options about what you might think God thinks when he looks at you. But I'm going to take a, a small segment of this. And I think I'm just being compelled by what I saw in my dream because the crowds in my dream and that dusty African slash Middle Eastern place where Jim and Dawn and John Padilla 
were ministering and they were asking me to inviting me to help and the crowds were nonstop and the activity was intense and um, it was anything but glamorous. But the people were just like Jesus is describing in, in Matthew 9, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And guys, we often use that, and well, we should, for evangelistic recruitment because the next verse is when he says the laborers are few, the harvest is huge, and the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord will send forth harbor, har- uh, harvesters, laborers. And uh, so I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with it being an evangelistic recruiting passage. I think that's that's valid. But that's that's not what I'm doing today. I want you to see yourself not as the laborer in this moment that needs to go forth because my thoughts today are primarily for those of you that are already going forth, those of you that are already serving, those of you that are already burdened, those of you that are already moving into the, the flocks of harassed and helpless people. I want you to risk it for a moment, and I want you to see yourself as one of those that he has compassion on, not the laborer, but one of the sheep. Can you see yourself as the sheep today, the lamb today? Would you allow just a moment where you're not the one fixing everything, you're not the one serving, you're not the one making things happen, you're not the one sacrificing, you're not the you're not answering and stepping up and saying, here am I, Lord, send me. That's good and well. I think most of you that I'm trying to talk to this morning have already done that. I want, I want to ask you, do you allow room for Jesus to look upon you in your weakness, to look upon you in your lack to look upon you in your fumbling, bumbling attempts to try to do something worthy of him? Do you, do you leave room for him to look at that and see how weak it is and see how unimpressive it is to see how maybe it feels like it's unfruitful in this current season? But do you allow room for him to look at you and say, I love that. I see what you're doing. I love that. You're tired. You're harassed. You're helpless. You, 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 you're without me, you would, you would stray. You'd be like a sheep with no shepherd, but I am your shepherd. So I'm here and I'm telling you, I'm going to, I'm going to carry you. I'm moving into where you are right now. And I'm telling you exhale and rest in my arms because, um, apart from me, you have no shepherd, but I'm not apart from you. I'm here with you. When, when it says that um, Jesus was doing what he was doing in Matthew 9, those verses I read, he had already been going about all the, all the cities and all the villages. And by the way, in, in this area, in Jesus' day, there's about 200 little cities. They're not like Atlanta or New York or Vegas. These are little villages. So you got about 200 cities and villages in an area of about 40 miles by 70 miles. I mean, that's, it's just this one area. And so he's going to all of them. So just picture 200 villages and and he's teaching, he's teaching in their synagogues. And when the Bible speaks of Jesus's teaching ministry in the synagogues, it would be exposition. It means he would take the Torah. He would take old Testament or old Testament. He would take those books. He would read and teach them. He would say, here's what the verses say. Here's what the meaning is. And he would expand upon that. So he would do expositional preaching of the Hebrew scriptures. And then it says he preached the gospel of the kingdom. So you got the exposition, but you also have the exhortation. So he's exhorting the people. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And so he's doing that. And he's, listen, the Bible's very clear at times that Jesus so powerfully ministered that he got tired. 
omnipotence got tired. Now, if, if omnipotence, omnipotence gets tired and physically weary, um, you're not superwoman. You're not Superman. You're going to get tired. You're going to get physically weary. If Jesus did, just go ahead and mark it down. If, if omnipotence got tired and weary, you're going to get tired and weary too. And so he's doing all of this. And then it, it goes on to say that it, like he's healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So it would have been nonstop because sickness and disease in a, you know, ancient world where there was very, very little medicine, um, that's, that's going to be an exhausting work. And so Jesus is seeing the sick. He's seeing the afflicted. He's seeing the demonized. He's seeing the, um, spiritually illiterate. So he's teaching, he's preaching to the spiritually illiterate, but he's laying his hands on people nonstop. He's casting out demons. He's healing afflictions. He's fixing torn limbs. He's, um, regenerating uh, limbs that are gone. He's opening blind eyes. He's, he's causing the deaf to hear. He's making the mute to speak. He's telling demons to get out of people. And this is nonstop because the crowds know who he is, know what he does, and they're flocking to him. And so he's, he's in the midst of ministering nonstop powerfully where there is no end of need. Now, I don't want to make what Jesus does exactly what you do, because you and I aren't quite doing what Jesus does. But friends, many of you that are listening, you're the ones I'm going for this morning. You're maxed out in your capacity. I mean, you are, I've used the phrase like five times, scraping your soul. And all I mean by that is you are still intentionally bringing the Lord what you have to offer him because you're in love with him, because you're transformed by him. Because you know you're already accepted. You're already complete. You're not working for something. You're serving from the spirit of gratitude. You're serving from the spirit of obedience. You're serving from the spirit of, I long to bring something to this glorious one who saved me and whom I'm living for. And so you're doing that. And there are times, man, when when you reach into the barrel and there's so much to bring forth and it's delightful and it's powerful and it's potent and you see the immediate results and it's awesome and you're not having to wait. Some of you are, are in this season where you're waiting and waiting and waiting and every time you reach back in to bring something, it feels like you've got less and less to offer. Man, I've been there. And, uh, you know, it's not like those times where everything you touch is golden. Everything you touch is anointed. Everything you do has immediate fruit. But the thing that I want you to see is this. He knows that you're operating in your weakness. He knows that you're pressing against what is trying to bring you to a place of caving in. He knows that you're fighting through it. He knows that you have faith. You don't think you have faith when you're struggling because you associate faith. Some of you associate faith only with breakthrough. You think, if I have faith, I'm operating in constant breakthrough. Let me just give you something. You actually don't develop faith consistently in your elongated breakthrough season. You actually develop and strengthen the muscle of faith. I call it the trust muscle. You actually develop that when you're having to be in a season of scraping and struggling and weakness and brokenness and desperation and gasping and panting. And no fruit, no breakthrough. That's where faith is made, man. Faith is not created when you're on the mountain. Faith is when <laughs> faith is created when the mountain seems impossible to scale. 
And when the Lord looks at us in those seasons, he, he doesn't scold us. He doesn't say, oh, man, I thought you had more. I thought you were more. I thought you were going to keep up with all these others that I'm, I've got them in their season of abundance. It, listen, the lie is that if you have faith, you're always going to live in breakthrough. I'll just say this. If you have faith, you'll always be pressing towards breakthrough. But you need faith most of all when there is no breakthrough. And so the enemy comes in in a season of weariness and a season of waiting and a season of harassment and helplessness. And the enemy says, your faith's not real. None of this is real. This is uh, not what you signed up for. Um, the Lord's disappointed in you. And by the way, look at everybody else because they're flourishing and look at you. And uh, you're afraid to admit it. This is the enemy talking here. You're afraid to admit it, but you don't have what they have. And it's not going to work out the way you thought it was. And you're a flash in the pan. And you're missing the will of God. And you've, 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 uh, you've come up short of the anointing. And, and there's all these accusations that come. And the fact of the matter is none of those things are true. The, the enemy is exploiting your season of enduring faith and your season of having to come to terms with your weakness and your season of waiting on the Almighty to bring some convergence to circumstances and resources and timing and all of that stuff. And all you're doing is that you're actually exercising faith while you're waiting and you're still reaching down within and pulling up whatever you can to offer it to the Lord because you're convinced he's worthy. And the enemy says, oh, he won't accept that. He won't accept that. That's weak. That's not pretty. That's not awesome. That's not impressive. That's not anointed. That's not strong. He's not going to accept that. You have nothing to offer the Lord. That's what the enemy says. And uh, he's a liar. And every now and then you, you have to literally, you have to tell the demons to shut up and go to hell. And I'm not being flippant with that. I mean, literally tell them, hey, the pit awaits you. The pit awaits you. You're destined to the pit. You're destined to the lake of fire. I want you to hear that. Sometimes you have to tell the demons that. Tell them hell is waiting you. You, you, you. And I've asked the Lord many times, send the lying demon who accuses me. Send that demon, Lord. You know the demon's name that is harassing me right now. Send that demon to the pit before it's time. Lord, send that demon mercilessly into the place of oblivion. Silence that demon. He's lying to me about you. And so when you can press through all of the lies of the enemy and you recognize, um, no, you're just tired. You're just tired. You're, you're not unfaithful. You're not, <laughs> you're not sinful. You're just tired and the waiting and the lack of understanding and the cycle of doubts, they're just bringing you to a place of greater dependence upon the Lord. You need to hear me on that. God will allow you to walk in your weakness so that the result, the fruit of walking in your weakness is not despair and quitting, but it is confession that, yes, I am weak. Paul, the great apostle, said, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And Paul said, Paul was told by Jesus, in your weakness, my strength is perfected. So how can Jesus' strength be perfected in our lives if we never experience weakness? And so some of you need to just hear the Lord, that he's got compassion on you right now, that you, he, he, he knows what it is. Do you remember him in Gethsemane? Do you remember Jesus, the Son of Man, in Gethsemane? Do you remember his confession there? My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Jesus Christ said that. 
He said the weight of what was on him was so heavy that his soul was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Now there's a whole litany of sermons in those one that one statement by the Son of God, but all I'm trying to get you to say is Jesus has compassion on the weight on you. He has compassion on you in the under the weight that you're carrying because he knows what it feels like. <clears throat> so he goes on and it says he saw the multitudes. He's looking. He's watching. He's not distracted. He's not preoccupied. You have to see yourself as being in the multitude and catching the eye of God. You've caught the eye of God. He sees you. He's not indifferent. Doesn't mean he's going to change everything, snap his fingers, make it all go away. But he wants you to know, hey, I've got my eye on you because I love you. I've always had my eye on you. When you're strong, I'm watching. When you're not strong, I'm watching. And I'm not going to be, um, I'm not going to be paused forever. But I am letting you come to the end of yourself. I am letting you know that you could get down to the very least of what you have to offer and my eye is still going to be on you because I love you. I love you when you have nothing. I love you when you have everything. I just love you, not because of what you have or don't have. I just love you because I choose to. And so he was moved with compassion. He's looking on the multitudes. He sees everybody. He's moved. That's probably where I want to finish today. He's moved. He's not an unmoved king. He's not an emotionless savior. He's not indifferent. Oh, my Lord, help us. The enemy tells you he's indifferent. The enemy tells you he doesn't care. The enemy tells you those last rounds of prayers that you prayed did nothing. He's such a liar. Jesus is moved. Jesus was moved toward you before you ever thought of him. Jesus was working in eternity past in that divine mystery of election and predestination. Um, you, you were tattooed on his heart before you were ever formed physically. I don't know what that means. I just know the Bible teaches it. <laughs> Jeremiah was told by God, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. So there is a preexistent you in the heart of God that was beloved from eternity past. And you are an expression of his desire, his love, his pleasure. And he wraps you up in human DNA and puts you in time and space. And then he says, I see you. My eyes on you. And I feel you. I have compassion on you. And I think what's interesting in Matthew 9 is we're even told the reason in this specific instance why he felt so compassionate toward them is because they were, um, they were harassed. Literally, I, the, the King James says they fainted. It just means they, they, were, they were stretched. The actual Greek word, harassed, translated harassed here, means to be flayed open. They were split. They were fragmented. They were torn apart. Man, if that isn't life sometimes, just tearing us apart. And Jesus says, I feel you. I see you. I'm moved. He says they're scattered abroad. They were, they were harassed and they were helpless. They were cast down. They were thrown out. They were flung about because they had no shepherd. And when you have no shepherd, you're vulnerable. 
as a sheep, you have no shepherd, you're going to be hungry. You're going to be frightened. You're going to be lost. And Jesus saw people like that. And guys, I, I, at the risk of, you know, putting a dent in our American pride, if you happen to be an American, um, I just want you to know, sometimes you're the vulnerable one. Sometimes you're the hungry, frightened, and lost one. That's not just for the Middle, middle, middle Easterners or the, you know, the Africans in my dream. It's for us. And his compassion is as strong for you as it is for a person in the third world country that is, you know, literally praying, give me my daily bread. I need something to eat. So in all of these words today, my whole goal is just to been to reinforce this to you. I'm thinking of a couple of you. I'm not going to mention you by name, but I'm thinking of a couple of you. And I'm just saying, I want you, I'm going to speak directly against the lies that are coming at you. He's not done with you. You're not falling behind. You're not late. He's not late. You, you are restless. He's purging you of impatience. His timing is perfect. You're going to trust him with it. In the name of Jesus, right now, you're being released to trust him. Keep bringing up whatever you have, whatever you want, whatever you desire. Keep bringing it up. If you're scraping the soul and offering that, he's pleased. You're not going to quit. And you're not going to realign yourself. You're not going to give in to the impulse to, to say to yourself, well, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing and I'll just try something new. Because that, that switching gives you an immediate relief because automatically there's something a little bit more results-oriented. Nope, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to wait. You're going to trust that what he said to you, he's going to perform. And you're going to glorify him and praise him for his timing. Because you're a grown-up Christian. You're not an adolescent Christian. You're not a child. He has taught you way too much. You're not supposed to try to make things happen. If he's not making things happen right now, praise him. Praise him. Because he's smart. (laughs) He knows better than you and me. He's wise. Don't give in to the pressure to try to make things happen. Keep bringing him what you have. Don't be embarrassed that it's weak. Don't be embarrassed that it's not that it's not fruitful. And for the glory of Jesus, stop comparing yourselves to other people that are in their breakthrough season. You're not living for breakthrough. You're living for Christ. And if Christ has you on pause, and if Christ says this is your weak season, if Jesus says you're harassed and helpless right now, I've got my eye on you. I'm compassionate. Then go ahead and be harassed, and go ahead and confess your helplessness. And go ahead and keep waiting on the Lord's timing and believing that he will do what he wants to do when it is time. And until then, you're just going to rest in his arms like a little lamb who has a shepherd. And that shepherd is carrying you. Those are my thoughts for today on Mavericks and Misfits. And I pray that you're encouraged. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode... Please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.